Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this time. Father, as always, it's a wonderful opportunity to come into your house, Father, and just glean through your word, Father. As always, I pray that you make our hearts receptive soil to that which you would say, and if it be your will, allow it to bring forth a crop, 30, 60, even 100-fold, Lord, that your name gets the glory and the honor it deserves. It's in the mighty matchless name of your son, Jesus, we pray these blessings and more. Amen. Amen. So the book of Zechariah. You know, it was interesting. Pastor, Pastor Russ was uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do for midweek service. And we were trying to, well, what I was thinking, I was like, well, it would be great if we kind of do a book that kind of piggybacks or that works well with Revelation since Pastor was going through Revelation. But I never said anything. I just said, well, we'll see what Pastor Russ comes up with. And he came to me and he said, hey, you know, I think the Lord has put it on my heart to do Zechariah. And I said, oh, me too. There you go. That's confirmation. So there's prophecy working already. Come on. So we're looking at Zechariah. So last week, Pastor Russ kind of gave us the introduction and walked us through some things. And he did chapters one and two. And I just wanted to reiterate some things uh, with the introduction just to kind of set the stage and the context of where we are and how we got here. Now, you know, Israel has been exiled into Babylon and they have been in Babylon for 70 years. And if you read the book of Daniel, you'll see that Daniel was praying one day. He was going through the scriptures and he saw that the 70 years were up. And so when he saw that the 70 years was up, the Bible says that he began to pray and I guess not remind the Lord, but he reminded the Lord, hey, 70 years is up. It's time for us to go. And so and then that's when all the events started to unravel and everything. So there is a blessing with being in the scriptures and praying because you'll start to see you'll get some revelations from God on some things that may be time uh, that may reveal something in time, you know. So Daniel saw that. So then that's where you get into the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, where they wanted to come back and start rebuilding some things, get the people to come back and everything. And what ended up happening is the people had been in Babylon for so long, they had set up their lives. They had families. They had houses. They, they had nice houses. They were living luxurious things. So a lot of them didn't want to go back into the land. I mean, when the Babylonians came and took over, they destroyed everything. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed their homes. They destroyed their farmlands, everything. They destroyed everything. So you're, you're saying, okay, it's time for it. We can go back, but what are we going back to? We're going to leave everything that we've built here, everything that we've uh, amassed here in Babylon, we're going to lose. I think it's in Jeremiah, where Jer in the book of Jeremiah, where God tells them to settle in. You're going to be here for a while. Get married, have a family, build houses in Babylon. He told them to do that. So now they've done that and they're saying, hey, it's time to go back. We're ready to go back. And only it says only 42,000 went back. Now, 42,000 is a lot. And I was looking, trying to see how many people were in Babylon and I couldn't really find a definitive number. But it does say 42,000 went back and it caused them a remnant cause them a remnant. So that means if they're just a remnant, there was a significant number of Israelites that stayed behind. And so now they're tasked with coming back, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding their lives, getting everything back up to par. And as they're going through, as they're doing it, it becomes difficult. 
It becomes hard. They run into challenges. Of course, one of the challenges is there's not enough people. There's not enough people to help. There's not enough people to divvy the work around. They're, they're struggling to get things done. And then their enemies are laughing at them. They don't have all the resources they need. It's just a difficult time. And so what the people decide to do, they say, forget it. So they stop building God's house. They stop working on the temple and they make up in their minds that they're going to go home on their, in their new homes and work on their homes, build their homes, build their lives up. Beware when you forsake God's house for yours. Beware when you forsake God's house for yours. Now, it has a, 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 a practical application there, but today God's house is what for us? Our bodies. Didn't Paul say that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? So don't neglect your spiritual side of things, if you will. Don't neglect your spiritual side of things for Physical stuff, jobs, careers, stuff that you want to do, family, traveling. Don't neglect the things of God for that. Doesn't mean that you can't do that stuff, but your priorities should always be on God's stuff, on God's house. And so this is what they did. So as a result of this, God raises up two prophets, two prophets. Now, there is a contemporary that was uh prophesying along with Zechariah at this time. It was an older prophet by the name of Haggai. And Haggai was more of a, a practical prophet. He was an older guy, practical. In fact, his, I think his book is only 14 verses. He's straight to the point. Hey, you guys, wake up, get it together. We got to finish this. Let's get it done. Come on. And he's done. Whereas Zechariah is a younger prophet. And Zechariah has visions where God is using uh, Haggai to get the people going. He's using Zechariah to encourage them and not only encourage them, but to give them the reason why they're doing what God is asking them to do. And he shows them visions, not only visions of where they are and their position with God today, but also the reason why they're doing everything for tomorrow which is the Messiah. He sees the first coming, the second coming. He's seeing all of this. So he's encouraging them, get to work today so tomorrow can come. It's basically what he's saying. And so Zechariah has the, the task of explaining to the people the visions that he see. Now, he has a series of visions. I think some scholars say eight, some say 10, we don't know. You can break them down, however. But he has eight to ten visions all in one night. And these aren't dreams. These are visions. In fact, when we get to uh, chapter four, you see he's he's so worn, worn out by the three visions he's already had that the angel has to wake him up and then say, take a look at this. So he's 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 having visions. And I think it's in the prophecy. Joel and Peter talks about how uh Old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. And Zechariah is seeing these visions to encourage the people. Now, Pastor Russ started us off, so I'm just going to take us on, on to the finish line with this. But there was a huge blessing right in the beginning of the book. A huge blessing. So much so that when I tell you what it is, you can put your finger up and go home because if it blesses you, you're done. I got mine already. I'm out. 
Matter of fact, I might do that and then we can just call it a day and go give it our loved ones. But Pastor Russ said, what does Zachariah's name mean? God remembers. So let's take a look at something. I want to look at something real quick and then we'll get in. Uh, let's look at Zechariah 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And he puts it up there. It says, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying. Now stop. What I want to look at is we know what Zechariah's name means. It means God remembers. But his father's name, name means God blesses. And Berechiah's father's name, Edo, means at the appointed time. So if you put it all together, and I know that's what it means because it shows you these three names. And then it shows you the names again in verse 7. But if you put it together, it says, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. God remembers, God blesses at the appointed time. That's enough for us to go home. God blesses. God remembers. God remembers. Remember, what is remember? God remembers. That means that he remembers the state that you were in. And he remembers that there was a promise to bring you back into the land. God remembers. That means he also sees. He sees the struggles, the hurts, the pains, the heartaches that you've endured, that you thought no one else knew or no one else sees. But God sees. Why? Because God remembers. And then what? God blesses. Ah, if you felt like you haven't had a blessing or if you felt like you were being shortchanged or everybody was coming up, everybody was getting theirs and yours never come. Don't worry. God blesses. What? Edo at the appointed time. That means there is a specific time when you're going to meet your purpose. You're going to meet your destiny. You're going to meet your blessing. God remembers, God blesses at the appointed time. Amen? We done? All right, let's get on out of here. We done. Let's go. <laughs> I thought that was wonderful. That was beautiful, beautiful. So then Zechariah goes on. He has a couple visions. Pastor Russ talked about them yesterday. And so today we get to vision number three and vision number four, which are uber important, I think. And God is continuing to encourage the people of Israel because Zechariah is going to have to go deliver this stuff that he's seen, tell the people what he's seen and what it means. And this is what God is saying. It says, uh, if we look at verse three, and I'm going to take my time going through this. How much time we got? I'm going to take my time going through this because there's some interesting things that I want to camp on for a little bit. Uh, looking at Zechariah three, verse one, and we'll just flow and I'll stop you wherever. All right, you, you ready? There it is. Verse one. And it says, and he showed me, he, who? The angel that has come to Zechariah to give him the visions, to wake him up when he nods, all of that. This angel, angel, small a. Why did I say that? Small a. And he's angel, small a, showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, capitals. Now stop. Now anybody is familiar with the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord, most scholars believe, and I emphatically believe, is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ before he was the babe in Bethlehem. He shows up. How do we know? There are places in the Bible where this particular angel, no other angel in the Bible you will ever see, receives worship. 
this particular angel receives worship. You'll see as we get through the chapters, I think it's here in chapter three, that this particular angel has the power to forgive sins. No other angel can forgive sins. That means that this angel is a special angel. And then we'll look at everything that's going on. It says, he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And look who came. Oh, my goodness. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now, I did a quick little word study, and I thought this was so cool, and I had to dig into it, and I saw some stuff kind of blew my mind. We'll try to walk through it and see what happens, see if it blow your mind too. But it says that Satan came as Joshua, the high priest, was standing before the angel of the Lord, we believe Jesus Christ, and Satan shows up. And it says that he shows up to resist him. The word for resist is adversary. Um, accuser or accuser of the brethren, uh, Satan. The word in the Hebrew is Satan. So the worst, the, the, the word would read in Hebrew, Satan came uh, standing by his right hand to Satan him. Because Satan's name means to accuse. And so what you see is a divine courtroom and you see Joshua, the high priest. Why the high priest? Well, the high priest at this time in Israel represents the whole nation. Because if you're familiar with the high priest, his job was once a year, I believe, on Yom Kippur. He was to take the sacrifices of the people into the Holy of Holies, the presence of the Lord, to make a sacrifice and an offering to, to uh, him on behalf of the people. And they said uh, his robe, he had the vestures, he had the uh, pomegranates and the little bells on the bottom. Because for any reason, if he wasn't right or if he had sin that he didn't deal with, when he went into the presence of the Lord, he would die. And if he died, and this must have happened sometimes, that's how they knew to do this. They would tie a rope around the high priest during this time, because if he went in there and died, you couldn't get him out until the other priest went in 365 days later, whole year later. So can you imagine what the smell would be working in the temple for a year? So they tied a rope around him. He would go in. So Joshua is representing the people and he is standing before God. And as he's standing before God, Satan is there to Satan him or to accuse him. Now, I find it very interesting uh, what happens next in the second verse. The second verse says, and the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, D, that's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Holy fathers deemed it too holy to say, so they replaced it in the Bible with the capital Lord. It says the Lord, Yahweh, rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Now, anytime you see the capital Lord or Yahweh doing something specific, you want to take note. Anytime it's repeated, it's of uber importance and it's repeated. And it says the Lord rebuke you. Now, I'm going back in my mind with that phrase because I've seen that before. 
And I remember talking about it before. Now, I often hear people, and I'm sure you've heard people. I was just talking to Pastor about it the other day. But you hear people say things like, I rebuke you, or I rebuke that. And I understand the figure of speech. We've kind of learned that in our churchiosity, if you will. We've learned to say those things. But in actuality, you have no power to rebuke anything. And you need to be careful what you rebuke because you don't know what you're rebuking. Why do I say that? Well, when you look at this, I think the other place that we hear it, this is the first time we see it. The second time we see it is in the letter of Jude at the end of the Bible. And Jude says, and I want to read it from uh, the KJV first, and then we'll go to the other one. I think I both have them. Jude says this, and this is important. Why is this important? This is important. I always sit here and tell you that we are never more like God than when we pray and when we give. Amen? But we're also never more like the devil when we accuse the brothers. When we accuse people falsely or when we... uh, when, when we say things that we're not really uh, sure what we're talking about. And what do you mean? Let's look at it. Uh, Jude, I think it's Jude 4. Is that where I started? It says, for there are certain men that have crept in unawares. I like that. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to capture these men, not saying that we are these men, but we put ourselves in this category sometimes when we do some of these things. Next verse. And I jump to verse eight. It says, likewise, also these filthy dreamers talking about those men, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Watch this. Despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Now, and then it goes on to compare them to Sodom and Gomorrah and all this other stuff. But I wanted to look at that right there. And then let's look at verse nine. He's telling you what they do. And then watch what he says here. He says, yet Michael, the archangel, the archangel. When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Right. Let me see it in the uh, NAB. I think the NASB. I thought this was crazy. Uh, Let me see verse eight or the last verse here. Verse eight. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. That's the one. Verse eight. It says, yet in the same way, this is another version, yet in the same way, these men also being dreamers or dreaming, defile the flesh, reject authority. Watch this and revile angelic majesties. What is the devil? Angelic majesties. Now, why, why am I bringing this up? Why is this? Why is this point? Well, number one, the Lord did it in our verse and he emphasized it twice. So I wanted to look at it. Now, oftentimes you've heard people uh, blame stuff on the devil. I don't know if you remember the uh, far side cartoon strips and they had one one time the devil was sitting outside of a church and he was sitting on a rock and he had tears in his eyes and he looked downcast and somebody walked by. They said, what's wrong? What's going on with you? And he pointed back to the church and he said, they blame me for everything in there. 
<laughs> I thought that was funny. So a lot of times we put things on the devil that shouldn't be on the devil. And we need to be careful. Why? I thought this was crazy. I saw one commentator say, because he's an authority. Now, the gifts and callings are given without repentance. Now, we love that when it's, when it's dealing with us. But that also goes for them. Now, he does not have authority over you, but he is an authority. What do we mean? He takes Jesus up to a high mountain. He says, Jesus, look at all of the kingdoms in the world. All you have to do is what? Bow down to me and they are yours. Jesus didn't say, you must be crazy. Those belong to me. No, not at this time. He is an authority. And what did Jesus come back with? Jesus came back with a higher authority and said, no man is to bow before anybody. Get thee behind me, Satan. You see? So why do I say that? Because oftentimes God is dealing with me in an issue this year. The word that he gave me for this year was submission. Was submission. And for me to uh, kind of work through my stuff and how I deal with authority. Because oftentimes, and now we're saved, we're covered with the blood and that with fire. We're on our way to heaven and everything's good. But sometimes our life is extra frustrating because we don't understand submission, authority and all of that. The Bible declares, Jesus said, God says that he places those in authority over us. He places them in authority and that we are to yield to them, obey them to the best of our ability. If there's if it's righteousness, if it's if it's righteous stuff, if it's stuff that causes us to go against God's word, then we stand for God's word. But if it's not, then we're not to. We're not to backbite. We're not to uh, uh, we're, we're to honor them. And then it goes on to say this phrase that I know God is serious because honoring them honors God. Now, I, I know there's authorities out there that we say they're not doing a good job and this and that, whatever it may be. But we want to make sure that we don't frustrate ourselves, that we don't grieve, quench or resist what the what the spirit is doing inside of us. Amen. So I thought that was very interesting. Um. That God would put that emphasis there. And I remember that he reiterates that in Jude, that we have to think about that. Now, there are storms that we may deal with in our life that the devil may send. There are storms in our lives that we may deal with that God may send. And there are storms that we may deal with in our lives that we send ourselves. Now, oftentimes without uh, discernment, or God revealing to you, you don't know where they came from unless the storm came from you. If you know that you was messing up and everything is falling apart because you did it, then you know it was you. But sometimes we go through things and we don't. That's what the whole book of Job is about. Job was minding his business. It was God who said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And Job's like, what? <laughs> so we have to be careful uh, how we label what's going on in our lives or the circumstances in our lives. So what do we do? What are you saying all of this for? Because our trust is always in God. We trust that God will deliver. God will help us. God will do whatever. We put our trust in him and his authority. That's what makes 
uh, yielding to other authorities, okay. Because God will take care of everything. Remember, he told them, hey, get comfortable. You'll be there for a while. But all the while, these people wanted to go back home. But now you have a whole new generation that has risen up and they're not thinking about going back home. But it was always God's plan to bring them back, even though they can't see it. And now they get there. It's difficult. It's hard. And they want to quit. And God says, no, because this is bigger than you. It's not about you just building your homes, building your life, building your successes up and not tending to mine because there's an ultimate purpose for mine for my house, for the temple to be here. Now, you take care of mine, then I'll take care of yours because the whole nation will ultimately be blessed to where it's going. And I thought that was amazing. And then the end of the verse says uh, that the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, and he rebukes you. And then it says, is not this a brand plucked out of the fire. Now he's back to talking about Joshua, the high priest. Now, if you notice, God is speaking. Satan hasn't said anything, but it says that he's resisting him, that he's uh, uh, accusing him. Uh, here's another word, that he's prosecuting him. And Joshua never says a word. Now, you know, Joshua is Jesus. That's the same name transliterated as Jesus. And it says Joshua never says a word. And when and I thought this was crazy, blew my mind again as I study all of this stuff. When Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate says, do you hear all of the accusations that these people are saying? You're not saying anything to me and I have the power to release you. And Jesus said nothing. Do you know why he didn't say anything? Even though we look and we know that Jesus was without sin and Jesus was not guilty, he was bearing our sins and our iniquities. So he was guilty. He was guilty. And so Joshua was standing there. Joshua was not saying anything. And whatever conversation dialogue is having is between God and Satan here. And I was talking. I told you it's, it, Satan is showing himself as a, a prosecutor. We were having a conversation in staff meeting. And uh, we were talking about Celeste's son, Noah. Noah wants to be an attorney like he's dead set. That's his dream. His goal is to be an attorney. And we were talking about that. And then Melinda said, well, I hope he's a prosecuting attorney because these defense attorneys, they get in there and they twist the facts and all of this other stuff to get their uh, get their clients off. And I said, wait a minute now. I said, be careful. I said, because Satan is considered a prosecuting attorney. Because he stands before God and he tells God he's a big snitch. Snitches get stitches. He tells God everything that we have done. And I see a divine courtroom and he stands there with me and he says, Henry is a man of unclean lips. <laughs> Henry is a, a man of unclean thoughts. He says, Henry is a man with an unclean heart. And it takes everything in my might to say, Ugh, you're lying, but I can't. Because everything that he is saying is true. Now, I told you he's a defense attorney. Not only is he a defense attorney and a good one at that, because the Bible declares that he ever lives to make intercession 
on behalf of us. But not only is he a defense attorney, he's also the judge. So look at this. So then it goes on to say, and I think this is accurately uh, captures what happens here. He goes on to say, verse three. Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angels. Filthy garments. Now, the translators translated this um, very nicely. But the actual Hebrew is, is, is as offensive as it can get. Those filthy garments are as terrible as you can imagine standing before God. And it's what God sees. Now, some commentators has also argued that if we were to see the high priest, of course, it's the high priest. We know to some degree what the high priest would wear. It wouldn't come across to us as being filthy. But when we are clothed with our righteousness, I think Paul says in Romans that they are as filthy rags. And it says that Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And then verse four, it says, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him and unto him. Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from you and I will clothe you with a change of raiment. Now, remember, I'm standing in the courtroom. The devil has accurately called me out. And the defense attorney has says, yes, but I will get rid of his dirty clothes. I will get rid of the dirty raiment and I will provide clothes from him for him. And if you really, really look into it, how does he do that? It's almost as if the defense attorney says, I know that he's dirty. I know that he's vile. I know that he's wrong, but I stand to take the punishment for him. I take off his dirty clothes and I give him my clean, righteous clothes and I take the punishment for him. This is exactly what you see right here happening in this vision, even though what he is depicting is that because of the 70 years and they have gone by and they have served their time, God is saying, I have removed your iniquities. I have taken your filthy clothes off of Israel. Israel is now clean. Israel is all right with me. They're all right with me. And then it goes on and he says, and I thought this was cool. And then Zechariah kind of jumps in. I think he's excited seeing everything happening and he's seeing Israel restored. The sin is wiped away. And in verse five, I think it's verse five. And then it says, and I said, and that's uh, Zechariah. He said, well, let them set a fair miter or a turban upon his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head. God is doing what he said. Set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And then what did he say? Next verse. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua saying, this is it. Set it up. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. If you will now walk in my ways and if you will keep my charge, then you shall also judge my house and shall keep my courts 
and get, and I'll give you places to walk among these that stand by. So God is now saying as a response to me taking away your iniquities, the sins, the dirty, the filthiness of Israel, the reason why you were exiled in the first place. I have forgiven you. I've wiped the slate clean because of that. Your response is to walk with me. Is to walk with me. And he's dealing with Joshua, the high priest. I should have said this at the beginning. But these what these two visions uh, depict that we're looking at in chapters three, chapters four. We're looking at two people, two people, the high priest, Joshua, who represents the spiritual. And then we're going to look in chapter four. We're going to look at Zerubbabel, who uh, represents the political side of things or the king. Now, remember, we are called to be what? King and priest. And this vision gives you a picture of that. And then just finishing this, because I thought it was cool. Here's a messianic uh, uh, inference here. Uh, looking at verse uh, seven. Says, thus saith the Lord, Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my. Oh, I did that one. I'm sorry. Uh, going to verse eight. It says, hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. Behold, I bring forth my servant. And then you see how branch is spelled. Who do you think that is? It's all capitals. Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. So now you have a messianic prophecy. I have cleaned Israel up. I have commissioned them to walk a certain way. Why? Because my branch is coming. Uh, the one you're waiting on is coming. The one who you've been uh, yearning to show up for centuries is on the way. But we have to get our house in order or you have to get my house in order. And he starts with the spiritual. He deals with Joshua, the high priest, the spiritual side of things of Israel. And then we move into verse four, 801. We're almost there. I mean, not verse four, I'm sorry, chapter four. And then verse one, chapter four, verse one. Are you lost? Is it there? Oh, there it is. Verse one, and it says, and again, and the angel that talked with me came again and waked me up. And as a man that is waking out of his sleep, I. And said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick of gold with a bowl upon the top of it. And it's seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And do I want the next one? Go to the next one. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. Okay, what are we looking at? What a vision, what a vision, what are we looking at? So now are we all familiar with, uh, what do they call it? The menorah. Hanukkah, it's like the seven stem lampstand. So this is what you're seeing. So you have a menorah. You have the, the pipes that go up and then up on top of the pipes is where the flames come out. Right. And then they're saying on top of that 
is a bowl, right? And with this bowl, this bowl is going to hold oil. And the oil from this bowl, somehow it'll get into this in the prophecy, but I won't read that far. But somehow the oil from this bowl is going to fuel back into the pipes. And then it's going to be a self-oiling lamp that, you know, the story of the Maccabees and everything. It'll be a, a lamp that will never go out because the oil is always flowing. And then it says on the side of there are two trees, two olive trees where you get the olive oil. And the olive oil from the trees and the branches will dip down into the bowl. The bowl will go into the pipes and the pipes will let the flames go loose. And this will just be a continuous cycle. And as we read, we'll learn that the olive trees are Joshua the high priest, the spiritual side of things. And then the political king, who goes by the name of Zerubbabel. What a name. Zerubbabel. Say that three times. Zerubbabel. And looking at the next verse, 4, says, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, Lord? And then the angel talked with me, answered, and said, You don't know what this is? And then he said, No, my Lord, that's why I asked you the first time. I added that. I didn't say that. Verse six, and then it says, then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, and this is where I want us to hold on, not by power, but by might. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So what you have is God is commissioning these two to lead Israel to build the house and to rebuild Jerusalem and to go forth. The spiritual side of things is taken care of because you're clean and you're all right with me. And now on the political side of things, you don't have to worry about getting revenge or worrying about uh, another army coming to take over or displace you. <coughs> You don't have to worry about building up your uh, resources or your defenses or you don't have to worry about any of that. I just want you to lead the people righteously. And you won't do it by power. You won't do it by might, but you'll do it by my spirit. You'll do it by my spirit, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. What's going on in your life that you've been struggling with? That you've been contending with? That you've been uh, exerting a lot of energy with? I want to encourage you as kings and priests, not by power, not by might, but by his spirit. And these are the last two or the next two visions that God has given Zechariah to encourage the people with. I have brought up leaders that will lead you spiritually and politically. And spiritually, you are clean and all right with me, so you don't have to worry about me uh, striking you down or destroying you. And you don't have to worry about the king or the king to be because I have him covered as long as he trusts in me. So that's our word for tonight. We are clean. We are forgiven and we have the spirit in our lives to help us in any area 
that God is leading us in. God remembers. God blesses at the appointed time. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Hope that we did. I did your word justice tonight, Father. Hope that we can um, kind of grow and ponder uh, what you said through me tonight, Father. Lord, as always, we just thank you for just being such a gracious God, for being a merciful God, for being a loving God and providing ways for us to be successful in you, Lord. Father, we just pray on this loving day, Father, that everyone who has listened, who's in attendance and those who are watching or will watch, Father, that they will be blessed by the words that you have said to us tonight, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Now, I have a couple questions, a couple simple questions, a couple easy questions because it's late at night. It says, how does the imagery of Joshua's filthy garments being changed affect you? And then the second one says, not by power, not by might, but by God's spirit. How empowering is this statement for you or to you? Amen. Amen. So I want you to ponder that those who are at home in TV land and we're going to we're going to get into our groups if we can. And we're going to ponder those questions. But if not, we'll see you next week and we thank you and we'll get into everything. Amen. I feel like I'm on TV. Thank you.